Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. This Globig Podcast is brought to you by Global PEO Services. GPS helps companies hire employees fast without having to set up entities in foreign countries. With GPS, you can hire employees in days without having to deal with HR, benefits, payroll, tax, and accounting issues around the world. Go to globalpeoservices.com or your Globig Marketplace to learn more. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Our topic today is how to work with the media in the UK, and our guest is Joanna Dodd, the founder of Rochester PR, who's located in the UK. Joanna has over 25 years of experience in PR, working with companies from startups to global multinationals in industries such as food and drink, private equity, major charities, IT innovators, and many more. Rochester PR specializes in market entry for foreign companies, and they support clients and international brands in successfully entering the UK. Joanna, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm really, I'm really pleased to Excellent. be here and um, look forward to sharing some ideas. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing, what's going on in the UK right now from, from kind of the PR perspective. Yeah, well, um, so we've just we've just finished a, a big project that we've been working on, which was linked to Hong Kong, which was all very exciting. And, that, and that's an interesting one um, in terms of different media cultural differences, I guess, um, which a lot of people who work with China will understand. So we've been busy doing that. Um, and at the moment in the UK, watching what the media is talking about, it's actually our party conference time. So there's lots of chat about, guess what, Brexit. Um, yeah. And what we're going to do, and who's going to be who's going to be leading us? So the media is very focused on that at the moment. So that's actually really interesting. Kind of slide into talking about this. So paying attention to what they're paying attention to, like you're not going to really get their attention right now, right? As a company that might have just brought in a new president. I mean, when it's all about this time, you know, you kind of have to just stay on message, right? I think yeah. I think for. Uh... A company looking at the UK, timing is everything with the media. So it's it's really about making sure that you understand what's going on in the UK, behaving like almost as if your company's already here. If you're trying to enter the UK, you want to look as though you know what's going on already. And there's no point trying to engage with the media over stories that, you know, they're really not going to be interested in. So tapping into what they're thinking about is always a good way of making yourself more relevant. But having said that, I mean, obviously, the, the media is huge. The opportunities are huge. So, you know, we're talking to people today here in the office about chocolates uh, because it's the run up to Christmas. So it, it doesn't mean that nothing goes on apart from um, politics and all of that. But it is it is about choosing the right time and, and the right way to engage with the media. So what are the biggest mistakes companies make, you know, especially related to culture when they go into the UK? Well, we always say that you have one chance to make your first impression. And I have to say, it always surprises us maybe how many people uh, do that more than once and try to make their first impression a few times. And, and I think that is a challenge for them because, of course, in this day and age, 
with social media, you can find things out so easily. So we've had companies before come over and say, we're new, we've never touched the UK, we've not been here before. And actually with a little bit of uh, wandering around, you can find that they came over you know, a year or so ago with this sort of proposition and now the proposition has changed. So actually I, I think um, one of the big mistakes or one of the big things to avoid is you know, make sure you've got your story really well honed um, before you launch it into the UK. Make sure you've really done your research. You know, we had a chance to meet not too long ago. And one of the things we were all talking about was how little preparation companies do because they think they're very similar, you know, and especially US companies where it's like, oh, they speak English. They have to think like us and be like us. So we know this market and we really don't need to prepare. And it's just such a massive mistake. Yeah, I totally agree. If there, you know, if there was one thing that we would say to companies to do more, it, it, it's to do their research. I mean, we got a really good example of a, a company that was was knew he wanted to launch in the UK, financial services company, knew he wanted to launch here and had done all of that sort of due diligence. And then and we worked with him for about nine months before he actually landed, where every six weeks or so he would come over on a trip. We would have fixed up meetings, networks, people for him to engage with. Uh, events to go to so that he just built his knowledge built his knowledge and on the day he launched his business uh you know he knew everybody that he needed to know he knew how it all worked and I have to say he still really impressed me it really impressed me today as, as somebody who did it so well but he's on one scale and then you can sometimes find people on the other scale where they they turn up and you know it's a, an exciting you know, if you land in London it's an exciting place to be but you really need to do more research Absolutely. It's it's a hard place to be because it's so exciting, so much going on and so interesting for companies. That means you need to be standing out, right? You have to really do your homework. Yeah, absolutely. And one of our clients um, from Finland, he was saying, you know, um, I think if you take take the UK, take London, you should treble everything. And he said, by that, I mean, the fun you will have, you know, the interesting people that you'll meet. And then he goes, and also the time it will take you to make it work, the investment you'll need in terms of your own time and money to make it work, the competition you'll come across. And he was just sort of saying, you know, so think of it that way. Um, because if you think you know this market, you definitely don't. Yeah, I think that's that's really, really great advice. So let's go into some of kind of more the nitty gritty of it. How do you media relationships work in the UK? How important is it to know and have kind of previous relationships with the media that you're trying to reach? Well, I mean, because we, because we, for example, work across loads of different sectors, in, in fairness, you know, if somebody comes to us today, it might be a year ago that we last did that sort of uh, product or project, um, not necessarily. So it's, but we still know that we can get coverage for our clients and that's because it is a combination of um, how good the story is or making sure the story is really good how you package that up how you make it interesting and then thirdly and quite importantly you know talking to the right journalists and and knowing the right journalists but you can do that you you can do that relatively speedily because you know picking up picking up the phone and speaking to journalists or uh, meeting them up for a coffee and saying, look, we're, you know, we're going to be talking to you about this. What I can see that you've written about this in, recently, or you've talked about this recently. You know, I've got somebody who might be along these lines. How would that fit in? What features are you thinking of? Where could we help? 
it doesn't take long to build a relationship, um, to be honest, with the media. It takes time to build a good, strong relationship with the media. Um, but it, it's more about, um, you know, finding out what they want. It's, it, the one thing journalists hate is that sort of, you sent me a release, you didn't even bother to see that I don't write about that, or you know, <laughs> it's totally irrelevant. So again, it comes back to what we were just saying, it is research, you know, if you, if you know it and you, and you work it out, you know, some of these journalists are very, very knowledgeable, the trade journalists working on trade publications or sector publications, industry publications, really knowledgeable. So you've got to pitch it very well, um, because they really know their stuff and they know their stuff about the UK market better than if you're a company coming in for the first time so you know with a bit of respect and and doing some good preparation work you can build those relationships if you deliver a good story journalists are going to be interested yeah so it sounds like they're actually open to really building a relationship the fact that you know and I think this is something that's really unique in the UK anyway this opportunity to get together for a coffee or get together for a beer or really having an opportunity to meet that's that's fairly unique I think to the UK in a lot of ways is it oh that's interesting of course because we've just grown up with it so we don't know it's, right. it's that different um yeah some yeah, countries I, are super formal right so you can't yeah. go without through some sort of processes and then others are just somewhat distant in that they aren't going to have those personal connections right they they just expect you to do it over email only which i think is lovely yeah, I mean, there are, I mean, there are a lot of um, journalists here, you know, initial pitches are done uh, over email, sometimes over Twitter. Um, they are very busy, um, you know, as, as is everybody, but they're very busy. So they don't necessarily have the time to take, you know, all the calls. Um, so yeah, there is, there is a bit of that, but it is also um, about getting to know them. And, and that can be, you know, maybe at events that you're holding with, with clients or going out visiting them, certainly if you've got a product, um, you know, you want to take it out there, you want people to experience it. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a combination. I don't think it's particularly formal um, here in the UK, actually. Um, but, yeah, it, it takes a bit of time to to build stuff. And we always talk about, you know, what journalists are really trying to develop is a, is a relationship with you because they want, they want something they can come back to you on. They don't want it to be a one-off transaction, you know, that they're that's not really what they're after they're about gosh is this person is this somebody who could add value to me and my knowledge and the things that I write about so they're looking for a long-term relationship too so you know sometimes people make the mistake of, of perhaps giving them one story which is we're doing this event and to be honest you know journalists think well I'm, I'm not a, I'm not there to publicize events uh, what is in it for me so right. it's worth trying to see it from their point of view too yeah, absolutely. Are press releases still useful? I, I know that there's been a lot of discussion about that kind of around the world, but in some areas, absolutely, and, and in others, not as much. I, yeah, we still, we still use press releases. I mean, I suppose the format that you send press releases in might, might be slightly different, but, but I guess it's maybe, it, it's less about calling the press release and more about, you know, the, the, the skill of drafting a good press release is still the, the same skill of drafting a good story pitch to a journalist so you know making sure that you know, you've got all the right information in the top paragraph or the top first part of your email and then filling in the detail as you go so yeah we still use still use press releases I mean they're sort of now more embedded with pictures and things like that for um, you know for journalists to take out and videos sometimes as well but 
I think as long as, um, so maybe if we don't call it press release because it goes in lots of different formats, but as long as it's the same thing, it's crafting that story, giving them the information that's really easy um, for them to get. Um, and that's perhaps something I would also say is that sometimes companies think that they should embellish their own story and add in a bit more jargon and a bit more, um, you know, zoosh it up a bit. Uh, and actually, none of us want to work too hard. If you're going to send me something that I'm going to think about writing about, if I were a journalist, I want to get it quite quickly. Mm. Um, I don't want to have to be the one on the end of it trying to do all the work. So, yeah, as long as you're following those sort of principles of, of making it, um, you know, making it, making all the facts up front and making it easy for the journalist to get. Um, and then journalists themselves have different preferences, of course. You know, some are going to uh, prefer emails, some are going to prefer um, phone calls, that sort of thing. So, absolutely. What about the wire releases where you just kind of send a mass out? Do you, do you find that sometimes is valuable or not as much? We do occasionally use those in conjunction with something else we're doing for clients, but it is interesting. Um, we see a lot of wire stuff coming into the UK. I think the problem or, or the challenge with wire is there's no relationship. There's no, there's no real engagement. Mm -hmm. There's no real endorsement. You know, the, the whole principle of PR is that is the value is the third party endorsement of a journalist having you know, looked at the story or looked at the product or whatever you're trying to introduce and put their own commentary around it. Whereas wire is, uh, you know, there, there is the release and you can see it and it can get visibility, but it's not, in my view, it doesn't do the same job at all. It does a different job and sometimes it's a very important job. That makes sense. What are some of the key insights to getting publicity in the UK? What is the media looking for? So when, we, when we're media training our clients, we always say, um, you know, the media is uh, looking for the truth. Um, and we don't literally mean that, but we mean what, what, we, what we talk about it standing for is, um, again, thinking how a journalist would think, but you want something that is topical, relevant um, to them. Um, you want something that is unusual, um, the one thing you probably don't want, the other T, is, is trouble, because that's often something quite interesting to a journalist. Um, and the H is human interest. So it, take out the trouble. You're looking for something that's relevant, um, hopefully a little bit unusual, something they haven't heard before, haven't seen before. Um, topical, so in trend, a bit like we were saying earlier. Um, and then has a human interest, that whole idea about stories and um, engaging with people, you know, in, in the way that they would understand. So for a business that could be, you know, one of your messages might be about how you support SMEs. And then you want to say, you know, I spend, you know, at least one hour of my day talking to SMEs to make, understand, make sure I understand them. Yesterday, this person told me X, Y and Z, you know, making it very... Um, relevant and, and topical to to the publication. Absolutely interesting. So we know the UK is a hot market, lots of competition. How do you connect with influencers? How do you reach them? And then we'll follow up on that. But how do you then become one? Right? Like, what are those steps to? All right, here's who they are. Here's how they want to talk. Like, how do you figure that out as a company? Yeah, well, I suppose one challenge is that it moves quite quickly. So I think that that is one of the challenges of finding out who are, who are the key people. I think different ways. I mean, influencers nowadays is very much um, really only talked about in connection with, I suppose, bloggers and social media. But actually, influencers 
are um when we look at it when we start you know and don't just look at the media side you've got a whole range of stakeholders who are very important to your business probably and again it's something that perhaps people don't do enough or spend enough time really understanding who these stakeholders are um, because they can be very influential it could be a charity in your sector um the, you know you, you've got a product and a charity or an ngo could be a huge supporter of it they would be a more important influencer than say a blogger who writes on the same subject maybe um i mean there are lots of ways you can find out how influential different people are in terms of you know loads of different scoring systems nowadays connecting with them can be quite challenging because they don't always tell you how to get in touch so it comes back to you know you've got to have a good pitch you've got to have a good story you've got to have a good angle that they want to engage with you on um, otherwise you know they're not going to put in the time and um, effort and it does depend slightly on different sectors um, you know so some people are more open perhaps to uh, so tech journalists are very open to what's new and they would you know be out and about at lots of events uh, listening to speeches seeing who's saying who's saying what so there are different ways that you can find these people and, and connect with them um, again it's it's a bit of bit of legwork which probably goes back to some of some of the angles we we're talking about earlier which is you know start this slightly early on you know when when you land um you, you've probably you're three months probably behind where you would want to be I guess that's <laughs> my impression anyway yeah I think that's actually really good advice and, and you had mentioned about your client who had really done a good job in one allowing himself time and two being where he needed to be for a while so not only did he connect with the influencers but he it looked like he was also trying to figure out how to does he position himself as an influencer? Do you suggest that yeah. your clients do blogging and all sorts of things in advance to kind of try to make it so that when people are looking at them, they can see that they really know their stuff? I think it depends how much um, how much time and time they've got to do all of that, actually, um, would be one thing, because uh, sometimes... You know, blogs that appeal you know, a bit like we were saying earlier, you know, blogs that might appeal in one country and not necessarily going to appeal in another. Or, you know, you might be very big in your home territory, but you're going to be new here. So what you might say there might be slightly different here. You might have slightly different audience that you're trying to reach. So I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, start with blogging. A lot of people now talk about, you know, white papers and, um, you know, opinion leader type um um, attitudes and and information I, I think you I think you have to look and see what's right um, because otherwise you could spend a lot of time building something that you can't sustain and, and just a simple example of that might be you know when we look at a client's website when they're coming into the UK sometimes they've set themselves up in our view for a bit of a fall because they've made it so complicated um, that they've really got a lot to keep you know keep that going they've got to feed that machine on the other hand, you know, we see some companies where they are uh, very much positioning themselves as a tech startup, but say in the field of cybersecurity, I don't think many people are going to really want to engage or, or um, buy from somebody who looks like a startup. They, they might be a startup and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, on something like cybersecurity, you need a bit of feeling of um, reputation and experience behind you. So I think it slightly depends. The one thing I'd say is don't rush into it. You know, do your research, work out what others are doing. If all you're going to do is is replicate what everybody else says, you're just going to end up piling on more wallpaper on top of 
wallpaper and that's not going to help you at all. Mm, that's really an interesting insight. You know, you mentioned the looking at your website and your blog and, and I would imagine even your social media. So when you go into the UK, should companies have separate social media pages and a unique blog or a separate part of their website? How do they then appeal to maybe they're mature in one market, but they're going to be brand new in another and then the different audiences? What are some yeah. of the pros and cons of, you know, what are those different approaches? Yeah, I think that is very challenging. And I think um, every client that we have has a slightly different view or sometimes starts with one view and then changes their minds. Um, I think it's more challenging if it's different languages. I think, well, more challenging to get it right. Therefore, the easier thing would be to say, start again in English if you haven't gone into an English territory. Um, I think it is quite challenging though, you're absolutely right, if, if, a, if a company's got, say, say everything's in English already, they're in three different territories you know those, are, those territories are going to work quite differently and then you have the simple things like time difference so you know if you're if you're here in the UK you want people posting here in the UK in UK time you don't want it posted in you know like, like you in US time because you're missing you're missing the key points of the day so I think it, it depends um, very much on the company and their resources I mean I guess if I take social media just as one example I think most of the time with our clients we're sharing social media content now. Um, we, we, we can sometimes do it all, and that, that's absolutely fine. But more often than not, we're sharing it because, because of the time difference. Um, sometimes it would be very difficult for us to be able to speak to the client before they need to post something and, and vice versa. So as long as the content strategy and the, and the content strands are agreed, um, then you can have people posting in, you know, in different time zones um, and, and from different countries. Um, but it's, um, I've, again, I think you just don't want to start something that you can't then fulfill because shutting something or closing something or uh, deleting something, I think, can send a message in itself. Uh, so it's better to start and grow it, in my view, than it is to start with, you know, five different blog and a this and a that and then start cutting it down. It almost looks like you're running out of things to talk about. It is. You know, we're all so ambitious and we're like, okay, we're going to do this globally. And then all of a sudden you realize, yeah. wow, it's hard to have, you know, really great content in a couple of countries, nevertheless, all over. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and, and often, you know, on social, it's a, it's a good one where we say, well, why don't we start with, you know, this social network, and then add that one in. Because a lot of people say, let's start with them all and go, really, you're just not going to have enough at the beginning so right. it's better to to, to build and, and grow and start by making a very good first impression and then build on that than it is to overextend or, or be you know I love people ambitious that's the great thing about our business we meet so many really ambitious um, entrepreneurs but if sometimes if you're over ambitious you know it can be quite challenging. I understand. Let's talk a little bit about the UK audience. And, and while I realize that this is going to depend on the market and the person and that generalities don't always hold true, there are sometimes things that are unique about um, areas and, and countries. And so one of the thoughts is how trusting are UK customers of international companies? Uh, I think you made a really, really good point about the there are certain markets that you looking as a startup and you being a startup is actually really detrimental to you, right? No one's wanting their doctor and surgeon to be brand new at this, right? They want them to be 
really, really seasoned and experienced and the same thing happens in certain fields. But in general, like how, you know, as a new company coming into a market, are they going to be fairly critical of you? Do you need to really assume that you need to spend some time and really earn their trust? Or are they a fairly trusting market if the marketing was just great? Well, I think in general, I think the UK, we are very, very open to uh, companies, people, uh, cultures, new new initiatives. So I think generally speaking, I, I feel that we are willing to listen and willing to, to hear something from people. So I think the starting point is a good one, which is um, we've always, you know, as a country, we've been used to seeing people come into the UK with different services, different products it's quite normal for us um so i think generally speaking that's a really good starting point i think trust is a really good word actually because i think trust for all of us you know whether you're thinking about a business relationship or or non-business relationship you know that does take a bit of time to build you have to prove that you can do what you say you do and and people you know will will trust you that way but i think marketing i think as long as you know, I'm sure we've all seen those sort of wonderful stories about things that don't translate or don't work from one country to another. I think as long as, you know, again, go back to what we were saying earlier, as long as somebody's done their research and they think this is going to appeal to this audience for the following reasons and they've got it right, then we are very open to um, good international marketing and, and branding and ideas. Um, you know, but sometimes, yeah, we do have a slight cultural difference or a, or a view on on something that maybe isn't the same I know when I don't know if you've heard this one but I know when we see a lot of um, companies they've been given advice that when a Brit says I think that's very interesting they don't actually mean it that so what they really mean by interesting is oh my goodness I just don't know how to say politely that this is not interesting at all but actually and I whenever somebody says that to me and says oh you've said it's interesting you don't mean it do you I said no 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 it's more complicated than that because sometimes I can say interesting and I really mean it. And sometimes I can say interesting and I don't mean it at all. Um, it's really, it is really challenging for people to get that sense of, um, you know, is, is this business interested? And I know on a slightly different tack, but for, for the guys doing the sales over here, they find, they often find it challenging that it takes a long time. People, you know, are polite to them in meetings. They will listen to what they've got to say, but just because they listened and, and you know, shook your hand and gave you a smile at the end doesn't mean to say they really are keen to buy. So I think it, I think it is quite difficult um, to understand, you know, somebody else's business culture um, in that respect. But I would say interesting, if somebody says interesting, don't automatically assume that means, no, that's not, that's not what they mean at all. Because it could, depending on the tone we say it in, it could be very interesting or not interesting at all or mildly interesting. Um, so it could be any one of those things. And I guess that's that's the challenge, because how do you develop trust when you're not entirely sure you know what um, people are actually saying to you? Absolutely. Those are those cultural challenges that somehow yeah. you just have to navigate through. And is it OK to ask them, so what exactly do you mean by that? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we spend a lot of our time when we're meeting um, these companies, you know, they sort of say, oh, you know, we'll we'll get back to you. And I think I think general business rule of family say, OK, so give me an idea. You know, when you say you get back to us, when is that? You know, we would always check in and sort of go, did that make sense to you? Did you like what we had to say to you? You know, was the budget around, you know, 
because otherwise to be honest it's that clarity that you need mm -hmm. uh, and there's no point in being too polite and saying oh well we won't ask all those slightly tricky questions on this first meeting so I would say the same the same way around you know if they've done a presentation or they've engaged with somebody I think they sort of say well you know so was it interesting and when would be the good time to come back to you to talk to you some more and what would you know what follow-up would you need for me you know just that sort of um trying to build that relationship I think absolutely any advice that we haven't had a chance to cover that you want to make sure that we do bring in I would say um, one bit of advice is that um, trade associations here in the UK, I think, are, and, and trade shows are a really good way to find out information. Um, you know, so um, there was a big, for example, last month, no, yes, last month now, big packaging event here in, in the UK. Um, and, you know, that would be the time that I would say to somebody, you know, have a look at that, see who's attending see which media are going uh, you know see what the social media is talking about you can learn a lot by watching something very specific in your in your sector and sort of the flip side of that is you know don't turn up you know in October going I'm here to talk to you about packaging when actually the major event happened in September so I mean it's, it's sometimes as simple as that um, have a look at what the trade associations are um, because they will they will give you a lot of information if you if you can track them down and find out about them and maybe even join as an affiliate member before you've landed um you know that that can make a a terrific difference to your knowledge and i think with, with that knowledge comes a lot more um uh, sort of empowerment and you know you feel that you know what you're talking about so i would say definitely look at those uh, trade associations and trade shows and things Mm, that's absolutely great advice. How can companies learn more? What are some of the things that you pay attention to to gain insights in a market? Um, you know, what should people be paying attention to well in advance to going into the UK? Well, I think there. I mean, there, there are loads of different things. So you could look at sort of individual people and and their knowledge and connect with them using you know anything from LinkedIn into twitter or whatever you know tell people that you're interested in them that's that's always a good start i mean there, there are people obviously there are people like us um and um what we have to say and we host quite a lot of events about market entry um so you know i would say events as well london is you could probably go to 10 events a night and that is challenging um in itself choosing the right ones to go to but there are there are always going to be a lot of things a lot of places that you can learn more so you know, find out who you think the key influencers are in your business sector. Uh, you may be surprised they might not be the ones that you initially research before you get here, but, you know, follow them, engage with them. We're, we're very open to people asking questions and, uh, you know, if somebody reaches out and says, Jana, can I, can I meet you for a coffee just to, just to pick your brains on something? It's very rare that I would say no, unless I was, you know, just busy or not here. You know, so we're quite approachable. Um, know more, more than sometimes people think but to look at the people here look at the events that are going on that you could join the trades like I say that you could join and 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 just build up your knowledge what is the best way to reach out to you what would you like for companies to do if they'd like to connect with you oh well you can you can you can reach out to us on twitter um sort of at rochester pr you could just look at our website uh, rochestergroup.com um, and all our contact details are there and we'd, yeah, we'd be really happy to hear from people.
Absolutely. We'll make sure to put these resources onto the write-up for the podcast as well. Joanna, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you. Nice talking to you again. Always good to swap thoughts and ideas. Absolutely. So listeners, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast channel. Go to rochesterpr.com. Go to the globig.ca website for your online international expansion headquarters, where you're going to find a one-stop international expansion marketplace, an abundance of free resources, training, planning tools, and vetted experts around the world.